The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Invite your attention this morning to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're visiting with us, uh, that is on page 61 of the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you're more than welcome to use that in that way. You know, I don't know about you. It's been kind of an off morning for us. I'm up here with uh, black pants and gray pants on, and uh, and I'll just be full disclosure here and uh, uh, khaki socks. So uh, God is good. Uh, even though uh, the pastor doesn't dress appropriately sometimes and uh, with the right socks. But God is very, very good to that end. You will also notice in your bulletin, we had another uh, thing. We are doing the Lord's Supper today. It's the second Sunday. Uh, usually you'll see that printed in there. Some of you came up and asked, where's the Lord's Supper? We will do it after the song, first song after the, uh, uh, the sermon itself. But it's been one of those weeks. I don't know if it's been that week for you. Uh, we were up way too late on Tuesday night. Perhaps you were as well, trying to see what was going to happen with our nation, either side of that coin. And uh, we're still paying for it. If we go to bed past 9.30, we pay for it for like two weeks. We're, that, we're getting that old in that, that time. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. Well, I invite your attention to Exodus chapter 20. If you're visiting with us, we are so grateful you are here. We are in the midst of a study of the Ten Commandments. We are eight out of ten this morning. It's hard to believe that in two more weeks we are done with this study. Where has ten weeks gone? Guys, Christmas is in about six and a half to seven weeks away. Is that not just crazy? Uh, Thanksgiving is a week and a half. I hope you have bought your turkey already. Uh, it is already that time of the year. God is so good. You know, I felt as I was preparing, I always prepare these in advance, and the Spirit moves how He moves through that preparation and during the Sunday morning. But I thought about my forgetfulness this week about this little topic this morning. America's dumbest criminals. I could have been on this list, I'm sure, had I been in the negative this week. But, you know, we are reminded, aren't we, from Scripture, time and time again, that that sin will find you out. I want to give you three of these examples that we've done this before in a sermon illustration, but these are three more that I think you will find very, very fun and very, very uh, obvious. Uh, A 17-year-old was cutting tight circles the last couple weeks in an Oklahoma uh, golf course in his Ford Explorer, and little did he know that he didn't think he would ever get caught, but he he literally caused about $200,000 worth of damage. That's a lot of money, folks. And he didn't think he'd get caught, but little did he know that when he flipped his Ford Explorer on its side and he ran away thinking no one would find his license plate, that oops, they actually found him and now he's been arrested for $200,000 worth of stuff. Or how about this other story that also, my wife's in the nursery, so I can poke fun at Oklahoma, by the way. Um, How about this other thing, and your wife is too from Oklahoma, Matt, so we can poke at it all day. But unfortunately, there was a burglar who uh, tried to steal some tags off the uh, clothes rack this week. He got 12 tags. You know those big things like spray the juice on you or the, the ink on you? He got 12 tags off and was walking out the door. But lo and behold, he left the tags in his pocket and got arrested <laughs> because he left the tags in his pocket. America's dumbest criminals. Or how about this one, a prisoner, this is the last year, but a prisoner from a Pennsylvania prison uh, ran away from a prison there, and he checked into the local Comfort Inn. The clerk asked him for his ID, and the only ID he could show was his prison ID. And the, uh, 
and good for the clerk. She was cool-headed about it, and she didn't say anything. He said, great, enjoy your stay. And after he went to his room, called the cops, locked the door from the outside, and uh, he was arrested because of his silliness. I know you have never done anything like that, right? I, at least I hope not. But I always find it odd when uh, we dismiss this as bad, just simply bad behavior. Baloney, this is sin. These people are, are dumb in their sin, but isn't it sin? Would you agree with that? They're breaking the law, Ford Explorers, stealing things, and checking into the wrong thing. Friends, we are reminded today as we enter the Eighth Commandment, probably a pretty straightforward one, but as always, something we need to look at, that you should not steal, should not do that very thing. Ephesians chapter 4, Matt read this, but it bears repeating. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says this. It says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that this thing which is the thing that which is good. You know, this commandment is very much straightforward. Don't steal. Seems pretty obvious, right? But one thing, if you've been with us, as you know, these commandments are much deeper than is written on the page. We don't have some super biblical knowledge, but just looking at the whole of Scripture from end front to end. But friends, really what this comes down to is, is not the negative part. Just like last week, we looked at thou shalt not commit adultery. It's not that sex is bad. It's, it's bad in the wrong way. Just as this one, thou shalt not steal, is not just a negative, but there is a positive here. The positive is, is that we are supposed to be generous, focused people. And people whose lives are not characterized by taking, but by giving. So that's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to steal? How can I be more generous with my life and my things? And how do we overcome that, this in our lives? You know, the greatest way to be generous is to remember the big idea today. And the big idea is simply this. You can be generous and content if you get you have been generously loved in Jesus Christ. Generosity starts, doesn't it? when you realize how generous God has been to you for forgiving you of your sin. Now, most of us, will, you'll say just like every other commandment, at least I did, Lord, this, I got this one down. I haven't stolen anything this week. I haven't robbed a bank, uh, at least not that you know of. Uh, that's full disclosure. But because we know that this is pretty straightforward. But Father, I've never, I don't break this commandment. But friends, the great charge of Scripture, Jesus said, Acts 20, verse 31, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Does your giving to others go to a point at which you know that you've been loved dearly? Now, am I saying that you're to give everything and follow Christ as the rich man was told to do? Not necessarily. There's nothing wrong with wealth done in the right way. That's a big thing that we have in our government. We'll get into that, 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 that to be wealthy is a sin. That is not true at all. Actually, some of the greatest missions that have gone out, missionaries that have gone out, have been because of rich benefactors giving to the local church so people could go and serve. So what are we going to look at today? Three things today. Three questions. What does it really mean to steal? Is it as obvious as it sounds? Why do we steal or why do we want to steal? And how do we glorify God in this? Three big questions. And if you're with me, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Are you ready? Folks, what is the first commandment? Thou shall have what? No other gods. Good. Second commandment, you shouldn't have any graven images. I'm helping you a lot here. This is like an assisted test. Third is don't take what? Lord's name in vain. Fourth is you got to take a, take a Sabbath, take a rest. The fifth is, and all the kids should get this one right, honor your parents. And that's not just in, in the home. That's an institution for life. 
Number six is don't murder or don't murder unlawfully. And number seven, last week, don't commit adultery. And now don't steal. As we said each week, Christian, let me uh, just caution you. These are not just checklists to say I'm more spiritual than you. But it's a heart checklist to say, Lord, is my heart right as I look to serve you as I follow you in these commandments? With that being said, will you join me in standing as we read God's word? If you're able this morning, uh, out of respect and honor for all that Christ has done for us. We will be reading in Exodus chapter 20, verses... Actually, we're going to start in verse 13, and we'll just read up to verse 15. And it says this, very straightforward. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and finally, you shall not steal. Or if you have the King James, thou shalt not steal. Let's go before the Lord as we pray this morning. Father, we are grateful that you have not stolen from us. If anything, Lord, we are the richest benefactors of all eternity. We are the richest benefactors, Lord, because we have received grace upon grace when we deserve judgment upon judgment. And Father, as we steal your heir outside of Christ, as we live lives that are not worthy of the calling that we received in Christ, we are reminded that you gave the greatest gift ever, and that is sending your Son Father, out of that great benevolence to us, the, the coming down of your Son, the condescension of your Son to us, the living the perfect life, the dying the death we couldn't die, may we be grateful people that sees that stealing in any way, shape, or form is not becoming of those who know Christ. Father, I pray that not in a moralistic way, although it definitely impacts our morals, but Father, in a spiritual way as we live out every area of our lives. Father, this will hit home today as it often has, not because of the preacher's word, but because of your spirit and your word. But Father, I pray that you guide us, you direct us, all things to your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. You know, this is, uh, this. I'll be honest, this is one, one of those commandments that we look at, and we, we really, I think, come up to. And it is one of those ones that we just look at as, as often, as, as I have come to study these and ask, Lord, that's not me. I don't steal. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. That's not what I stand for. But So what does it mean to steal? That's the first question we're going to ask today. It's simply taking anything that doesn't belong to you. Now, this starts very early at an early age. Our daughter is notorious for walking up to her brother and stealing whatever he has. Even dad, when we play Matt at the very end of the day, she wants it no matter what it is. Friends, this commandment, I'll just give you the, the application point right away. This commandment endorses private property. I want you to know that. But all human ownership begins with God's long-term loan of the earth. Look, everything you have, you are a steward of. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And you be in prayer for our church, even after this Sunday, as the leaders meet right after church, as we talk about the budget. We've been gifted a budget. And that sounds boring and kind of archaic for some of us, but uh, this is the ministry God's entrusted. Your tithes, your offerings come, and you pray for us as we steward what God has given us. But this includes the obvious breaking and entering. That is stealing. This includes holding up a bank. This includes shoving extra splendid packets into your purse at your local coffee shop, okay? This is, and, and, and I am guilty as charged here. I want you to know this. I'm coming from a list of Darren in old times. Returning, a, not a dress, but in my case, a tie that you only wore once to a wedding back to the store because you only wore it once. Can I get a witness? Or pirating on your neighbor's wireless internet signal because they were the dumb ones that didn't secure it. Making it a double feature by sneaking into a second movie. Yes, your pastor at one time has done most of these things. 
especially this next one, because I'm a freebie guy, and especially at college, when they have a why, I'm paying the money to go to college. Why can't I get a free gallon of milk? Aaron Renbaum, looking at you too, brother, because we used to both do this. Filling up your water bottle with milk from the dining hall instead of water and never paying for a gallon of milk while you're in college. You know, these are things that really bad people do, right? None of you have ever done these as you laugh and giggle with me. But there are a lot of things beyond jacking someone's car that are considered stealing. In fact, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 1, tells us that as an employer, you can steal from your employees by not paying them properly for the work they do for you. You know they just want to quit, because, or they can't quit because it's a bad economy, so you're going to milk literally everything you can out of them to your advantage. What about the flip side? As an employee, you can steal time from your employer by not really putting in a full effort into your hours you are paid to work. Let's be honest here. You build a little sleeping nest at your desk, and you know you have secret signals when the boss walks by, <clears throat> you know, clear your throat three times, and you wake up from your nap. You all are laughing because you know this is true. You say you're praying. That's right, Deb. Deb, we can meet afterwards after the budget meeting and pray. Just kidding. And this is a serious one. I, I will admit, this is something our generation goes through. How about surfing the internet all day while you're at work? I mean, seriously. March Matt, we I worked in a sports, this is a public thing, I worked at the NAIA, and, and we had permission. We were the one place that you could watch March Madness and all the major sports events and not get in trouble for it, really. But how many places of work? Uh, the, the, the study I read said the average employee loses almost $185,000 of productivity by the hours they spend on the internet while at work. Isn't that crazy? You say, I don't get paid that much. No, but your actions affect other actions that impact the bottom line. Or you could be stealing by just not giving your full effort each day when you show up to work. That is considered stealing. Jesus said in the gospel that you can steal from the government by not properly reporting on your taxes. You can steal from creditors by figuring out a way to get out of paying your debts. Or, and this is years gone by, some of you may remember the same Napster. Some of you beginning uh, uh, internet people, Napster was a program in the early 2000s where you could download music illegally. And you can do that now to the detriment of the artist being paid. Stealing doesn't always have to be monetary, though, does it? You can steal credit that belongs to other people. You know, you've, you've seen those stories before where someone does all the credit. Maybe you've had this happen at work. You do all the work, and you're the one that did all the research, all the presentation, and then your boss walks in and says, oh, and his boss walks in and says, look at what we did. Has anyone ever had that happen to him before? That's also considered stealing. What about um, you can steal people's time when you cancel an appointment or fake a sick day when you have no good reason to cancel? You can steal other people's homeworks, which is probably not a good idea if you play for the MU or, or other type athletic team. That gets you in bad trouble. You know, you can steal emotionally from people as well. Husbands, wives, we talked about the adultery thing last week. And uh, let me just say this, you know, withholding sex in your marriage without talking through those issues is a type of stealing according to the scriptures. You fight Satan by having sex in your marriage to the glory of God, if I can put it that way. That sounds odd. But to not, to deprive your spouse of something that is rightfully theirs for no good reason is doing that very thing. And likewise, parents, you can steal from your kids by working late just to get ahead and work late to be one of those people. Guys, we talked about this a little last week, but you can steal by leading a girl on emotionally when you have no intentions of having a serious, focused relationship leading to marriage with her. 
You can steal by showing her attention, by flirting with her. You can flatter her ego and make you not feel lonely, and that can be stealing from her the very things that her husband one day will have. You can steal intimacy with someone else. Married people, this is why it's very, be very, very careful that every once in a while, pastors, we hear this very thing, well, pastor, my best friend, my BFF, that's not my big fat friend, that's my best friend forever, by the way. People often say, well, my best friend is the opposite sex. If they're a male, it might be a female. If they're a female, it might be male. Friends, if you're married, your best friend should be the very person that you're sitting next to and married to, right? You can steal the attention of your spouse by doing that very thing. You can steal from God. In Matthew, there's a story of King Herod who stole glory that belonged to God, and eventually it cost him his life in Acts chapter 11. Not, or, uh, Acts chapter, uh, actually, not 11, but it, uh, it's in Acts in the other part. Malachi says that not tithing, not giving the first of your fruits of, of your income is what is stealing from God. You say, why is that stealing? It's my money. Well, no, it's not. God owns it all. In fact, he gave you breath in your body and soil under your feet. And the very thing he gave to you, he says, to give back to him at that very point. And that's not a pastor looking to money grub. That's just trying to be faithful to the scriptures. Prince Paul says in Romans 1.14 that for him not to take the gospel to people who never heard it was a type of stealing. It's like having the cure to cancer or some major disease and not sharing it with others because you're afraid of what they will do. Do you see how deep this gets? I don't know about you. Many of you have said this on the feedback. These commands are, are straightforward, aren't they? But they go much, 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 much deeper. Friends, or how about if you have a credit card and this hits home? Because I don't know if you remember that commercial a few years ago. Uh, I say a few years ago. It's probably been like 15 years. But there was a commercial where the guy, he had this great big house. He had the, all the cars and all his kids. And he was smiling ear to ear. And he said, I'm up to debt. I'm up to eyeballs in debt. Do you remember that commercial? No, no one else does. See, 15 years ago, probably 20. We live in a culture where we want to credit, 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 credit everything without being fiscally responsible to pay it off. And look, we all make bad choices at times, and let's pray we work out of those. But Christian, have you leaned more on debt than you have on the providence of God to provide for your needs? Stealing comes down to one thing. Stealing really comes down about unbelief about who God is and that he is able to provide. Because if we believe that God is able to provide, doesn't that mean that we can live a life that is such that he will do those very things? Yes, we can. So why do we want to steal? That's, the, that's basically the, that side of it, is what is stealing? But why do we want to steal? Friends, it goes back to the very same command we've looked at every time over and over. This commandment, as well as other commandments, go back to one key phrase. We like idols. And you will always touch a nerve if you poke someone in their idols. Not their eyes, but their idols. The reason we steal something is because it plays in the role of God in our lives. We believe if we get that thing, if we steal that thing, then we will have the best thing. And we need it. So we steal money because we think money is essential to a really happy life. We steal non-money things because of the same reason. For example, when you steal credit that doesn't belong to you, it's because you crave attention that that stolen reputation gives to you. Do you realize that's why identity hackers do the very thing they are? They've interviewed several identity hackers from what I read about why did you steal someone's identity? Was it, was it just too easy? Was it because of this, that, or the other? And really, a lot of it went back to the very thing we talked about in honoring your parents. These people never received attention 
Therefore, they wanted to get someone's attention by stealing their name. Isn't that amazing how full circle this goes? It goes back to idols. Friends, let me remind you this morning, the first faith lesson here is that the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, makes alluring richness of our most dazzling idols seem like a dusty flea market garbage that we try to sell. Isn't Christ everything in your life, Christian? Isn't he the reason that you do all that you do? Isn't he the reason that you want to live this life? Why do we want to steal? We steal because we want something more than him in our lives. Christian, ask yourself this morning, what is it that you are doing in your life that demands your attention? Last week, we talked about how sex calls, whether that's pornography, whether that is something else for many of you, and we answer that call because we have bowed down to that idol. For some of you, it is recognition from your parents that you never got as a kid, just like these hackers, because you want to hear job well done. But then we want more money, we want more honor, we wish we were more talented, we want more emotional fulfillment, we want more sex, whatever it is, so we steal it just off the cuff. You know, even if it is those extra, you know, I love, my wife, bless her heart, uh, our mother-in-law was in town this weekend, she has the same thought, those little creamer things, you know what I'm talking about, those little creamer things that you open up, the French vanilla ones especially, I love those things, folks. And I can recall several times, I was preparing this, you know, it's just amazing what God brings to mind. And I remember being a hungry seminary student, and the only thing that was in the cafeteria I thought was for free were those little creamer cups. So I got addicted to them because that gave me the little shot I needed to get through another hour and a half of lecture time. Seriously. And we laugh at this stuff, but, you know, I didn't have the money to do it, but I needed something, so I, I just consumed those things to no nth degree. And that's a silly example. Why did I do it? Because my idol was to stay focused in class. By staying focused in class, I'd have a high GPA. By having a high GPA, I could get into the PhD program. By getting into the PhD program, I'd get notoriety. Do you see how something as small as a little cup can drive you to do some things that are absolutely long-term, not what God would want? Those are the two shortest points, folks. What, what is stealing? It's taking anything that God hasn't given you, not being content with what God has given you. Why do we steal? Because we love idols more than God. And this is where I want to focus the main point. Where, how do we glorify God in this? What is the practical takeaway with this? And this is where I want you to turn, if you have your Bible this morning, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And I want to talk to you about that wee little man. You know who I'm talking about? Zacchaeus, right? That wee little man, Zacchaeus, because this man in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, is the one that's going to exemplify for us the life of stealing converted over to a life of glorifying God. Life of stealing to a life that is glorifying God. Friends, the best way to figure out whether you are breaking this commandment to God uh, before the Lord is to look at how the worst kind of thief can be one of the most generous people in the world just by meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Very familiar passage for most of us, but let's read through it as we study how to apply this out to us. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector. He was very rich. Verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay in your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What I want to do here for just the next few minutes is to walk you through this passage and then apply it. Friends, this is a dramatic change. We, we often share this story during VBS time or, or times like that, but this story has great implications to you and me as adults, as Christians, or even if you're not a Christian here today, what this means. First thing you need to know about Zacchaeus is this. He was the chief of all tax collectors. Now, I don't know about you. Politician would probably be up on this list of the most hated jobs or the jobs no one wants, but tax collector that's it. Uh, Steve Center, we have our resident CPA in, in, in the books. Uh, he works with taxes for his whole life. And it's not a job you just jump into, right? It's not something that you just want to say, hey, I want to be a tax collector when I grow up, especially back in this day. Many of you know that the Romans had a pretty ingenious system going on. They would take over a city and they wanted to tax that city to the nth degree. So they would end up sending people to collect the taxes. But they figured out that sending a Roman was not the best way to do it. So they would raise up, the Romans would, local people to collect their taxes. And they would say, let's just say the amount was $100 per person. They would say, look, the amount that we need for taxes per family is $100. But whatever you collect over that amount is yours to keep. Oh boy, wouldn't that be nice? And so what the Romans did is they hired someone from the city and eventually they would extract huge amounts of money from the people, give Rome their due, and then keep the rest. And they could use Roman soldiers to enforce it. Wouldn't that be crazy if the government showed up and said, you owe $100,000 for your taxes, and if you have $100,000 in your bank, please come knock on our door. That'd be amazing. But uh, you know what? And they came to you and said, the tax collector said, no, but I need $300,000. This is a rich dude. He was the chief of all tax collectors. But can you imagine a worse person in that day? This thief who made himself rich by exploiting his neighbors, old friends, and even his own family. He stole so much. But this is Zacchaeus. He was a thief. He was a thief to the worst degree possible. Friends, and he was the chief of all tax collectors. So he was not only the boss, he was the boss of the boss in that city. And what city is he in? It says in the city of Jericho, verse 1. That's very important. Jericho was the richest city at that time. This is not just some guy out in middle of rural America somewhere doing taxes. This is the richest guy in the richest city of Israel at that time. Why is that important? Because when you choose to become a tax collector, you realize you were choosing to alienate yourself from about every other relationship you had because your God was what? Money. Money, money, money. So we go on to the second thing. I want you to see secondly that Zacchaeus is how he comes to know Jesus Christ. This is very, very important. Zacchaeus is not in a financial crisis, friends. He's not. Zacchaeus comes to him because he's in a crisis itself. Zacchaeus, verse 3, was trying to see who Jesus was. He was trying to see who Jesus was. We don't know if he heard reports. We don't know anything about this. But all we know is he wanted to see this man, Jesus. And the reason that I say 
that he was not in a crisis is because he had everything financially he needed to have. But friends, there was a spiritual crisis going on in his life. There's something happening, ticking in his life that was different. And Zacchaeus is coming to Jesus because he's intellectually open, because everyone else has disenfranchised him because his thievery had gone so far that he had literally lost probably all his friends except his tax collector friends. Now, what I'm about to say may be misunderstood, and I don't want it to be, but friends, in my professional opinion, if that's possible as a pastor, crisis is not usually the best time to seek God. Say, what? Think about that for just a second. I'm not saying that in a crisis you shouldn't seek God. Just in my opinion, it's not the best time. You see, in a crisis, you're usually pretty desperate. You're not thinking clearly. In fact, you're kind of gullible. And you'll grab a hold of anything that feels like you can get out of this mess no matter what it is. And so a lot of times, crisis, you end up seeking Jesus for what he can do for you, but not for who he is in himself. Look, we don't know the motivation of Zacchaeus going to see Jesus. It may have been, wow, this guy is super powerful, and if I can just recruit him into my tax collector circle, I'm going to be richer than than Rome will ever be. Do you see how much thievery goes to the very nth degree? Look, crisis conversions don't take long, and that's why we are very careful here at Tower View to walk systematically with a person through baptism because we don't want them to make a snap decision. We want them to really consider what they're doing. Zacchaeus had lived a life of materialism, cheating, exploiting, because he thought money was the way to happiness. But now he sees there's something more to life. He sees there's Jesus Christ. All his stealing meant nothing now, but he had nothing that could save him from death. I don't want you walking out of here saying, don't seek God in crisis. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do want you to walk out of here knowing is that I'm just saying you need to be very clear on why you're coming to him. Zacchaeus may have come to him with wrong motives, But are you simply coming to God, Christian, because you want to get out of your marriage troubles, your financial troubles, or he wants to give you your best life now? Are you coming to him because you realize he's God and he's the only one worthy of living a life? Because what's going to happen to Zacchaeus is he's going to see who Christ is, and that's going to completely transform his life, especially in relation to this commandment. So that's the second observation. Third observation is this. Notice how Jesus enters his life. This is so Beautiful folks. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Friends, what an amazing God we serve. This is Zacchaeus, the boss of bosses, one of the most powerful men in Jericho, the most hated, but one of the most powerful men in all Jericho. And God says, come down from that tree. And what does Zacchaeus do? Comes down. That is the change of a life. Because Jesus spoke into his life. He says, you say, what's the big deal? Zacchaeus is going to, uh, Jesus tells Zacchaeus he's going to his house. Look, Zacchaeus obviously can afford it. He doesn't seem to mind. So what's the big deal? He's just having someone over. Friends, as many of you know, to have this type of person like Jesus to your house, especially as a tax collector, was craziness. It was like having the biggest outcast today at your house, like those 23 celebrities who are supposed to move out of the country right now because the president got elected or whatever that is. You know, it'd be almost like having that person over after they said certain things, and, but that is what it is. Jesus is eating with Zacchaeus before he cleans up his life. I want you to see that. Jesus is among the sinners. He knows he's stolen. He knows all these things. And then look at verse 7. The Jewish leaders are like, okay, Jesus, you want to do that? Well, let me ask this. You've gone to the guest of to be a guest of a man who is now a sinner. 
Friends, this is so good. Jesus is showing Zacchaeus the difference in gospel and religion. Because many of you are going to look at this command and say, Darren, I don't steal. I don't do these things. But he says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house before you change. In fact, the, fa- the salvation comes to your house is why you will change, Zacchaeus. Friends, that's why stealing isn't just don't do it. It's because every other religion in the world would have said, Zacchaeus, there's a way to God. There's a way to salvation. Now go and do it and you'll find it. But Jesus had to be the one to seek after this man. He had to seek and save the lost. Friends, many of you right now are in such a mode of stealing, whether that is monetary or not, that you need to remember that Christ is actively pursuing you through the power of the Spirit to come and repent and lay it all before Him. Do you know among pastors right now, one of the most PC things to do is to steal other people's sermons? I know that sounds crazy, but there are more sermons being stole online right now than ever before. You can literally pop online, pay 15 bucks, and you've got a sermon for the week. There goes 10 or 15 hours. I'm looking at Gilbert and the ministry guys here. There goes the 10 or 15 hours in, in prayer and preparation that we do each week for these messages. How crazy that is. Even pastors can get in the mode of thinking, I've got this down. It's not stealing. It's just sharing the best ideas, and therefore this is right. Unless we remember the gospel. Christian, you may be in a place where you, are, you have dug yourself in a hole so bad no one else knows about it. Maybe you're stealing attention. Maybe you're stealing credit. Maybe you're stealing literal money from someone or something. It is not too deep for you to get out. The same God who saved the worst rich man of that city of that time can save you today from the very things that you have this morning. The last observation I want to bring to you about Zacchaeus is this is that there was a change that came in Zacchaeus' life. Notice the difference here, folks, about someone who gets the gospel and how it relates to stealing and not. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Friends, this is like, think of the richest person in Kansas City and have that. You know, Salvador Perez won his fourth gold glove. If you weren't paying attention this week, that's your freedom. He won his fourth gold glove. He's one of the greatest things. He's a multimillionaire. Imagine Salvador Perez, catcher for the Royals, said, I'm giving away half of my money to the poor. Do you think that ESPN, Fox Sports, and all the powers that be would be interviewing him? You better believe it. I think they would. Are you kidding me? Why are you giving away half of your money to the poor? That's just crazy. Who are you? What's the difference in your life? And I don't know what Salvi would say, but in Zacchaeus' world, he said, look, because I've met this guy, Jesus Christ. My life was a life of stealing before, but now it's a life under generosity to my Lord. And friends, in the book of Leviticus, if you stole something, you were usually supposed to pay whatever it was and add 20%. So he not only, Zacchaeus doubles it, he doubles it again. Wow, that's a life of generosity. Zacchaeus says, I'll repay it four times. Then the part, it goes on, it's not about giving away 50%. It's not about, it's just, he's just giving more and more and more away. Friends, and that, what happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to him? What is the change in his life? The change is he found a greater treasure and it was in Jesus Christ. The change was is that he didn't care what people thought about him anymore. He, in fact, he didn't care before. He didn't really even care now because now he's following this weird Jesus guy, the itinerant walking preacher who maybe acts a little bit different. But in Jesus' glory and grace, he saw his heart for what it was, and his heart became not focused on himself, but more generous than he ever had been before. 
Remember, Zacchaeus was in a tree because he was despised. He's a short little guy. I don't know about you. I'm not very tall. I look at, uh, I think of Dale and some of our taller guys that are in this Adam in the back who are just super tall and super nice people. And you know what? I wish I could be as tall as them at some times. I can't even touch the net when I jump up, you know, in the basketball goals. That's hard to do. Pull a muscle every time. And Zacchaeus was despised. He was so despised, they wouldn't even let him in the crowd. He had to climb the tree himself. But what was the change in his life? Friend, the change was that he learned rightfully so that Jesus pays him one of the greatest social compliments by having him in, asking him into his home. And Jesus didn't care because he saw a man who was more fixated on stealing than he was on the treasures of God himself. You say, Darren, well, what is the point? The point is, is that Zacchaeus was a man who knew nothing of Christ, who saw Christ for what he was, and his life completely changed. What's the takeaway as we end this out? The takeaway is this, friends, and we'll end with this. The takeaway is this. Where and how does this thief's heart change? How does he come from the wee little bad man to a wee little person of grace? Friend, maybe you're here today and you steal because you feel like you have to have money to be secure in your future. Maybe that's why you don't give money either. I don't know. You say, well, if I don't have money, who will take care of me in the future? So I can't give it all away. I've got more to get more out of it. And I wrote this sentence that you're about to see up here in the next slide, this little first faith lesson. Friends, the only way your wee, little, stingy, fearful heart will change is by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. The God who rescued you when you were his enemy will surely provide for you now that you are his child. Isn't that what Philippians 4, 6 tells us? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Look, Jesus gives me security, so I see I can give my money away. Jesus says that it's not wrong to save something, friends. It's not. It's not wrong to save, and you'd be pitiful if you don't, especially in today's economy. But don't depend on it. Don't say so extravagantly that money is your security. Do you trust more in your 401k than you do in the living God who provided the 401k or the 403b, whatever it is? I think I'm getting those tax terms right. I don't know all the official terminology. Or maybe we steal because we aren't generous, because we feel like we need to raise the standard of living to keep up with the Joneses, a nicer car, a nicer house. Maybe remodeling is your job, your God. You're like one of the, you wish you could be that HGTV person that I told you about a few weeks ago that takes that, you know, these, uh, these homes and flips them and makes all this sorts of money. Well, praise the Lord if that's what he calls you to. But is your heart set on, God, you've given me enough? Or is your heart set on, I just need to make 20000 more and life would be better? Friends, grace will hunt down and steal your idols is the second application point and then bless you with the life-changing, heart-satisfying experience of worshiping this God. You need to know that God is greater than whatever this world may provide. Let that kingdom be your beauty. Jesus has given you everything. Let the kingdom, the beauty, the, 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 the stealing go away and let you see lost people come to Christ. Let that be your joy. Let, let your kids grow to know God. Let that be your joy and your value. That's a kingdom that will last forever in Jesus' name. But you know, it's interesting as, as we close this out, what I want to say to you is this. It has been time and time again, uh, there's an old video game called Grand Theft Auto. Uh, many of the men in this room probably have played this at one time or know some guy who's played this game. And it's, it's literally all that it sounds. You are given permission and authority in this video game to steal as many cars as you can, take out as many gang members as you can, and uh, you're not Robin Hood. You are just another 
crony trying to make a dime off stealing a car. And it's interesting because there is actually scientific evidence that when you steal, it releases a dopamine in your bloodstream and gives you a high. That's why people, when they steal things, get away really quick or try and get away really, really quick, right? When you steal something together with somebody, like a co-pilot or a getaway driver, it gives you a strange, intimate bond that makes you feel like you're on three drugs all at once, according to the scientific study I read. That's crazy. That's like the plot of all those Hollywood heist movies. You know those movies where you get really into it, and you're, you're more nervous for them being arrested than they should be arrested, and uh, the guy and the girl steal together and gives them this incredible bond, and they go off and get married, and all is well, right? It's not usually how it ends, but that's how it often goes. Listen, you think that's a rush? Try giving stuff away. Zacchaeus on a much greater high at the end of the story than he was as a tax collector. Zacchaeus is on an adventure, a better adventure than he ever had in his life. Here's the problem. Some of us don't steal. We're moral people. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in the fact that we never go beyond a life of just giving a little here or a little there or a little bit. Friends, your giving, your giving away of paying bills and buying things, your checkbook will show where your heart is at. Look, I'm not saying, I'm not here to guilt you into giving another 5% to the church. I'm not guilting you into going and selling all your furniture to goodwill. But if God calls you that, by all means, follow him. What I am here to challenge you with today from the scriptures is that a life of grace transforms a person just like it did Zacchaeus. And whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, have you prayed, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do with this, help me to bless it. Deb, this just popped in my mind because I see you setting out of the corner of my eye. You know, uh, back when we had our soot incident, many of you remember this almost 10 months ago when, when this pastor blew up soot all over the house and we had to work to get that back to normal. Uh, we had a toilet that was leaking, and this toilet had uh, leaked all over our carpet at the time while the pa- we were out for six days. You, know, you just can't win for losing when you, when you go through this stuff. And I remember we're like, what are we going to do with this toilet? We got it fixed, and we, eventually Teresa Moody was there when we bought our other one. Uh, Teresa, you remember that at Home Depot? We bought this other toilet. Like, what do you do with a toilet, right? What do you do with this? So my wife had the great idea to pray, Lord, what do you want us to do with this toilet? It works. It's just not one that we wanted because we wanted to get a newer one and all that stuff and saving our money. And lo and behold, Deb, if I can be so intimate with this, Deb Elam's toilet was not working. And someday, I don't know how this came up, I said, you know, we have this toilet and all this stuff, and it's like light bulbs were going off in Deb's head. Oh, no, I know. And, and Deb's thinking it's going to leak on me, too. No, she ended up coming with her son and getting the toilet from us. You know, we were just going to break this thing and have fun, throw it in the woods or whatever. I, whatever else you do with toilets, I don't know. We were going to sell it on Craigslist or the swap shops or whatever else. But, and you know those stories. But friends... <laughs> It looks great now, yeah. It looks a lot better. If you need to use the toilet and want to see it, go to Deb's house, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And I'm not, here's my point of saying that story. I'm not sharing that with you to say, hey, look at the pastor. That's not my point. But at the point at which, in my mind, even as a pastor, I'm just like, let's get rid of this thing. Why, who needs this thing? It's an old toilet of 18 years. It, it's been in the house since it was originally built. Who needs this thing? A sister in Christ needed a toilet. <laughs> Deb, I hope that's not frying too much in. Your personnel committee, so I'll hear about it at some point as she, she flexes her muscles over there. It is a good story. Because, friends, I'll end with this quote right here. I'm going to end a little bit shorter than I thought because I think this is where the Lord has. If you want to put up the quote for us, uh, 
from Robert Murray Machane. Robert Murray Machane was a Scottish preacher who lived to the ripe age of 32. He said this to say, he said, the more you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the more generous you become. Boy, that hits home, doesn't it? God, may all the toilets in my house be used for your glory, if that's what it means. (laughs) Amen. God, may those pizza cutters that I love to cut my favorite. You know, friends, what is it in your life that God may be calling you to not hold on so tightly to that someone else may need? Look, I'm not saying that you have to give everything away. God may call you to do that, friend. God may call you to do that. I'm not going to lie to you. God may call you just to sacrifice something more than you're giving. You say, well, pastor, what is the magic number that we're supposed to give in a tithe? That's not the right question. The question is, is you give out a relationship to Jesus Christ. For some of you, that may be more than what you're giving now. That may be a funneling of it a different way to bless other people in a different way. I don't know. You pray about these things, but my question to you, how much do you value Jesus Christ? And as you're tempted to steal, whatever that is this week, whether that's credit, monetary, or non-monetary, affection, attention, emotion, Lord, are you enough for me, or has this become my God instead of you? Let's pray as we go before our Lord. Father God, this, uh, this sermon has so many angles and didn't even finish the notes today, Father, which is rare, you know. But Lord, I pray as we come before as a church, as we look at this end of year, as we look at budget, as we look at all these things, Father, I pray that you give us great wisdom. Father, I pray that we don't steal any glory from you by not trusting you in order to provide. Father, I pray that we are content with what we have. As Paul said, whether he had less or much or more or few, that he learned that he can do all things through Christ who strengthened him because he's learned to be content with you and what you've given. Father, that may mean health for some people here. Father, we certainly pray until you tell us otherwise to pray that your will be done. But Father, if you close a door and say no to health and we have to write out what it is, then Father, may you give us strength and grace and you will and help us to be content with that. Father, it may be having kids in this room and and trusting you with that, but after years of trying, that's not happening. Father, help us to be content, but continue to pray through those things. Father, I pray as we live in a very, the wealthiest nation in the world, where we have more funds, more access, more everything. Father, I pray that above all things, that your kingdom is our greatest hope and treasure, that the person of your son, Jesus Christ, is our greatest hope and treasure. Father, help us as a church not to get caught up on idols of numbers, procedures, and processes, although each are important and have their own right. Help us to know that if we are seeking to be faithful to you, not stealing your glory, but being faithful to you, we have done and trusted enough to you. Father, we could pray so many more things, but we trust and we we ask that you give us great grace in this area. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.